is Aliska for From the Frontline. Tonight we are dealing with the leading cause of death in the world today. With us in the studio is Dr. Hammond. Dr. Hammond, what would you say to be the leading cause of death in the world? Well, if you listen to the Wuhan Health Organization and the lamestream media, you'd get the impression that COVID is the biggest threat to the world today. But actually, statistically, factually, Worldometer, which is a database, um, worldometers.info, it compiles global statistics. And at the end of the 31st of December 2021, a screenshot showed uh, that the leading cause of death worldwide in 2021 was abortion. Oh. 42,640,209 deaths last year from abortion. So 42 million, much mm. more then 40% of all the deaths in the world last year were from abortion. And that's extraordinary because if you compare that to, according to the Wuhan Health Organization, sorry, the World Health Organization, uh, according to them, deaths from coronavirus last year, or with coronavirus in the vast majority of cases, uh, I mean, they even put people who had car accidents and who fell off buildings and had strokes and heart attacks, they put them down as corona if they detected it in them even though most of the PCR tests are false positives, but don't mm. worry about that. But they put it at 3.5 million globally for the year 2021. Now, even if that's correct, that is not even 10%, as many as died from abortion. And yet, from all the song and the dance and all the tyrannical measures, you would have sworn that coronavirus was the biggest threat to life, but actually, vastly more people died of cancer. 8,204,000 died from cancer last year. And by the way, 4,994,000 died from smoking. Uh, I don't see that much hysteria about that. Um, alcohol led to the deaths of 2.498 million and HIV AIDS 1.6 million. Funny how that used to be the flavor of the month and it's not getting the same media coverage it once got. Mm. And road accidents, fatal road accidents, killed 1,348,000 people last year worldwide. Suicides tragically killed over a million. One million and 71,000 people committed suicide mm -hmm. last year, which is absolutely horrific. And you wonder how much of that's due to the lockdown lunacies too. Mm -hmm. And hundreds of thousands for malaria, I, I'm sure they're underreported because we know in Africa there's deaths from malaria is in the millions. Oh, yeah. It's very, very high. But how terrible to think the leading cause of death in the world barely gets any newspaper coverage. And that is because people don't want to be convicted. It's because people don't want to recognize it as a sin. And also, I would think it is because people don't recognize, often don't recognize abortion as taking a life and as breaking the commandments of God. How can we respond to that? Well, it's a biological fact. It's science. It's 101. Life begins at conception. And when you think that Charles Darwin once spoke about the simple cell, well, now that we know that... Uh, each cell of our body's got more information in the DNA in one cell than we have in any of our computers. Uh, and it's self-replicating and uh, it's in many cases is able to, to repair itself and many mm. amazing things. So when you look at, at how this one single cell in your body has got more information than your computer and you think mm. that somebody spoke about the simple cell. And so when a person speaks about a blob of tissue and a potential human being and things like that. Well, any one of us who's ever gone for ultrasound 
and I have four children and three grandchildren. And so I've seen, uh, and when you see your little baby through ultrasound, sucking its thumb, doing somersaults, you don't say, oh, that's a blob of tissue, which might be a potential human being something. No, I mean, that, that's your baby. I mean, there's, there's no question about it. And maybe before ultrasound, people could have been excused for their ignorance. But honestly, there's no excuse anymore. Anyone who's seen some of the most amazing photography now that they've got in utero and this technology, how can anyone doubt anymore it's a baby? And, okay, even if you say, well, um, give me some scientific facts. At three weeks after conception, the baby's heartbeat can be measured, and that's lifelong. Now, we know that the absence of heartbeat is a confirmation of death. Mm. Why don't people accept that the presence of a heartbeat is a confirmation of life? Some may say, well, what about the brainwave? Okay, well, at six weeks after conception, the brainwave can be measured, and it's lifelong. Now, we know that the absence of a brainwave is an indication of death, so why is the presence of a brainwave not a confirmation of life? And we've just seen in Texas, they've just passed what's called the heartbeat law, that you cannot do an abortion on a baby where a heartbeat can be detected, which is like all of them. And every abortion ends a beating heart. And you know that this is, um, uh, it's hit a target because the abortion industry has gone ballistic and Planned Parenthood is getting hysterical. And mm. there are all these people screaming blue murder against choice. But it didn't say that abortion's banned just in the case where the baby's heartbeat can be detected, which is just reminding people, by the way, mm. you know that these babies have hearts and they're beating. And in fact, it's more intricate than that. At three weeks after conception, you have the heartbeat. At nine, six weeks, you have the brainwave. At nine weeks, even the fingerprints are formed. And every organ is fully formed and completely developed by 12 weeks. At 12 weeks, all the child needs is nutrients, sustenance, and growth, because it's all there. But in seed form, at conception, mm. life begins at conception. I mean, this is just biology 101. Mm. So when a person wants to argue about this, they are arguing against science and medicine, and um, there's no question about the life begins at conception. Mm. Yeah, and it's wonderful that with the scientific and the technology, science and technology today, that we can prove that even to use arguments against those who are pushing for it. And what are some ways that we can bring conviction, that we can show people what you are doing is murder? Even if it's people who are willing to commit it, how can we bring them under conviction? Well, there's a few different ways. Um, we've got pictures. I mean, pictures of, of life in the womb, and then you've got pictures of aborted babies, which hideously, I mean, it's, it's hard to imagine uh, but in the abortion clinics, they actually have to put all the different body parts that they've severed and sucked out through the suction machine and so on and be sure that they can see all the different body parts together to be sure that there's not an arm or leg or whatever still in there which could cause infection later. Mm -hmm. And so there's no question whatsoever about that what they're killing as, as a baby. But when you show pictures of this, I mean, many people are horrified and they say, oh, you mustn't show such pictures. Well, if it's too horrible to look at, Perhaps it's too horrible to allow it to be legal. Yes. And so sometimes I don't like to overdo it, but on occasions we have used pictures of aborted babies in demonstrations outside an abortion clinic. Uh, sometimes uh, shock um, therapy is needed to just wake people up to, do you realize what abortion is doing? It is poisoning or it is dissecting, cutting up, or it is suctioning, 
Um, and sometimes it is actually having the baby born alive mm-hmm. and then uh, snipping the spinal cords as got, was proven in the Gosnell case where he w- was a very bad abortionist. So he did full-term ab- ab- births. And then as the head came out, he had cut the spinal cord, kill a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, that actually was technically infanticide. It was murder because if he killed the baby inside the womb, uh, it would have been abortion, but outside the room, it was murder. murder. And that's how Gosnell ended up in prison. And in New York State changed the law that you could even kill a baby after birth. And yeah. and and literally, uh, you had the Democrats, including Hillary Clinton, applauding and cheering this and uh, applauding passing a law that allowed an abortionist to kill a baby even after it came out the womb because they wanted to be sure that abortionists like Gosnell couldn't be prosecuted in the future for what he had been doing. I mean, that's... He's uh, America's biggest serial killer, the one who killed the most people. Yeah. And uh, that's been made into a dramatic film too, Gosnell, by the way. Well, I don't expect to see that on any national television, but it is available. And Unplanned is another good film that shows from the perspective of someone who used to be an abortion provider, a very successful abortion provider. In fact, winner of Planned Parenthood's Abortionist of the Year, basically, mm-hmm. because she ran the most successful clinic in the country for them. Yeah. And... Uh, and Abby Johnson got converted to the pro-life side and to Christ and is now a leading advocate against abortion. So facts help, testimonies help, pictures can help, scientific statistics can help. Uh, I think what what we need to do is present people with the facts. Mm-hmm. And th- most people support abortion just because of ignorance. If they, if they knew, if they saw, then they mm-hmm. could not support. Yeah, and that is what we are to do to um, Britain bring God's hands and feet to the people to show that this life is made in the image of God. Um, and then to pray also for conviction. But then why is there such a push for abortion in the world today? And it seems like the whole world is anti-family. Why is that? And, yeah. Well, this goes back quite a way. So, you know, right from the beginning, uh, we can see uh, in Proverbs, those who hate God love death. And we see this. Notice how the Egyptian culture was very um, obsessed with death. I mean, just look at this pyramid, which took tens of thousands of slaves the entire lifetimes to build a tomb for mm-hmm. a pharaoh. And then you had all these uh, cultures like the Baal worshippers and those who worship Kronos and Moloch and Astra. They required parents to bring their firstborn child to sacrifice them. Their fertility cults, uh, these prosperity cults of the Near East, they require child sacrifice. So there's been a lot of anti-family attitudes. Then you think of the Roman Empire where the Romans and the Greeks, they often regarded that children could be an inconvenience and they didn't want weak children either. So the Spartans left the children out at night, even in winter. And if they didn't survive, then they were too weak to survive, so we don't want them. And the Romans, if they didn't like their child, they could throw their child outside the city walls to to the wolves. In fact, the term throwing them to the wolves comes from the Roman practice of abandoning babies at designated areas where, by the way, it was illegal to rescue them. Christians yeah. broke the law to rescue babies from designated baby abandonment places outside the city walls. And that's amazing because Rome, according to its own history and legends, was built by Romulus and Remus who were abandoned by their mother and who were brought up by wolves. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, here these twins, Romulus and Remus, were abandoned by their mother, brought up by wolves, built the city of Rome after Romulus is one after whom Rome is named, and then they still for centuries later continued to abandon their babies. Mm. And uh, you would have thought there would be some conviction about mm. how this is a bad thing to do. And many people think wolves are bad, but 
yeah, wolves have shown more maternal instincts for some human babies, not just in Rome, but in India. There have been actual cases documented in recent history where wolves have brought up children abandoned by their parents. And uh, the wolf has shown more maternal instincts than the human mother did. I mean, can you imagine? Mm. So, uh, yes, historically, there has been an attitude of regarding babies sometimes as a burden rather than a blessing. Now, in the Bible, babies are a blessing. But in the world, there's been uh, another mouth to feed, you know, inconvenient cries, disturbs mm. my sleep, whatever it is. Um, and we've got Agenda 21, which is a New World Order campaign where they are basically saying the world's overpopulated. We need to get rid of a lot of surplus people. Bill Gates is one of these eugenicists who holds to this overpopulation theory to the point that he says, we need to bring the world's population down to under 500 million. Mm. Now, the problem is right now we have 7.9 billion people in the world. We will very soon hit 8 billion, very soon. And that means that there's 7.5 billion people in the world that are surplus or superfluous and unnecessary. And in the words of these New World Order people, um, unnecessary. And therefore, it makes you highly suspicious when the same people who are trying to depopulate the world are trying to promote... Um, vaccines that are mandatory. I mean, mm. here you've got a, a virus so dangerous, you need mm. to be tested to know you have it. And a vaccine so safe, you need to be bullied and coerced to take it. And you need laws to force you to against mm. your will. And you're not allowed to know what's in it and what the possible side effects are even. Uh, that's how safe it is. Mm. So we're a little suspicious when the people who produce the vaccines and the viruses and make the laws are bullying you to take it while they make billions out of it. And they're the same people who would like the world's population to be brought dramatically down. One gets just a little suspicious. But yes, Agenda 21 wants to basically depopulate the world. And so anything that can bring the population down, like promoting LGBTQ, going against the family, overtaxing families, forcing the mother into the workplace, which always means less children get born, uh, and promoting abortion, sterilization, and then sterilizing people through a whole range of things, like very unhealthy food products and a lot of pharmaceutical products. And many vaccines have been shown to actually sterilize people as well, as was proven in Kenya recently where 800,000 girls were given a vaccine that was meant to protect them from polio but actually sterilized them. And, and that was consistent. It wasn't an aberration. So that must have been the intention. So, yes, uh, why would so much of the world be promoting abortion? It fits into the agenda of the New World Order of bringing the world's population dramatically down. Mm. And it's scary when you think about how successful they are. Romans 12 tell us not to be conformed to the image of this world, be renewed by the um, transformation of our minds. How can we do that? How can we live that out when there's so much attack and so much, so many agendas, so much organized um, plans against us? Here's the most important thing. We need to not be conformed to the world. We need to have minds renewed by the washing of God's word. Well, how can we do that if we stay plugged into the world? If we are reading the world's newspaper, watching the world's TV, if we are plugged into the Communist News Network, the Bolshevik Broadcasting Corporation, Sly Magazine, Newspeak, Useless News and World Report, the Sunday Crimes. Well, after a while, that disinformation is going to make you, you think exactly what the world media wants you to think. Mm -hmm. And if you send your children to the state indoctrination gulags, sorry, schools, and they are being taught exactly what the New World Order textbooks want them to think, well, obviously, that's an enormous amount of time. A child can spend anything from 11,000 to 12 to even up to 15,000 hours in public schools. 
if they go everywhere from kindergarten through uh, 12th grade. And if you add the state universities to it, even more. Now, if you are listening to the world's music, which I say the average child before they leave high school has listened to 10,000 hours of music or should I say noise, masquerading as music in many cases. So you can just do the maths. Now, in that same time, they might have spent, if they're church-going family, 800 hours in church. They might have spent 200 hours of actual conversation with the parents, but they would have had 14, 15,000 hours of school, 10,000 hours of, of music, and 16,000 hours of watching TV. Yeah. Now, you put all that together, what's, what's going to be the result? So I must say, in my family, my wife, Lenore, and I, the two very best decisions we ever made, we think, is no TV in our home. Made that decision 32 years ago, and 33 years ago, actually, and uh, homeschool. Homeschooling spared us no end of grief. And uh, the um, uh, removal of television foam made us a reading family mm. who were able to do lots of fun things from climbing mountains, adopting animals and doing outreaches and doing so many fun things as a family that really, I think, unless you unplug from the world's indoctrination and disinformation, um, gulag, uh, you're in trouble. I mean, it's mm-hmm. basically, you cannot, um, you cannot learn to swim while drowning and it's hard to shovel snow in the middle of a snowstorm. And you can carry on the analogies. And unfortunately, if we're trying to, to go against the stream while we're putting ourselves in the middle of this flood of disinformation and and mm. not any disinformation but distraction and defilement, mm. then you're finding a losing battle. So it's so important to say no. Mm. Switch off. Take it out. Take the TV set to the shooting range. Blow it to <laughs> hell. And uh, uh, refocus on the good Christian alternatives. Yeah, and running the race with the eyes focused on Christ, who gave us so much, so many commandments and was such an example. Also to take action. How do we do that? How do we focus and refocus away from the world? How do we then now focus on what is really important? With COVID and so on going on, everyone's focus is drawn to that. And everyone is so passionate about that. Can we change that to bringing people to people to focus on obeying God's laws and sharing that? That's a very good point. So let's use COVID as a nice jumping off point. Let's ask people to to just imagine, compare, or actually more like contrast. Imagine if our churches were as energetic in evangelism and as observant of the Great Commission as they are on repeating the COVID narrative and observing the WHO COVID protocol. Imagine that even as churches worldwide have allowed themselves to be sidelined, silenced, and even shut down in the name of fighting a virus. And how many church leaders became vocal, visible promoters of the sanitize your hands, take your temperature, practice social distancing, wear your mask. Imagine if they were as energetic in pushing those protocols demand by the World Health Organization as they are if they put that kind of energy into the Great Commission. More recently, many ministers have demanded that it's your Christian duty to get vaccinated. Now, your Christian duty? Can you show me a Bible verse somewhere? But many equated it with loving your neighbor. Well, Mm. I know how to love my neighbor. The Bible tells me how the Ten Commands. The second tablet of the Lord tells me how to love my neighbor. Don't steal your neighbor's life. Don't steal your neighbor's wife. Don't steal your neighbor's property. Don't steal your neighbor's good name. Don't be envious and jealous of your neighbor. That's how you love your neighbor. You obey the second tablets of the law. Just like how do you love God? By obeying the first tablet of the law. 
Worship God alone. Don't bow down before any idols. Speak respectfully of God and his word. Honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. I mean, that's how you show your love for God, by obeying his law. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. And now some have said, you prove that you're a Christian by taking the vaccine and wearing your mask. Well, isn't that the world's standard? That's not God's standard. And mm-hmm. some pastors were photographed in the clerical collars for billboards proclaiming, this vaccine will save your life. Save your life? In fact, it might be more honest to say this vaccine will not save your soul. In fact, it's probably not going to save your life either. The Methodist <laughs> Church in downtown Cape Town, off Green Market Square, the oldest Methodist church in the country, unfold a large banner from their tower declaring, the blood of Jesus will not, underlined not, save you from COVID-19. Get vaccinated now. Mm. Now, quite aside from the fact that over 99% of those who contract COVID-19 recover, including everyone in our family and our mission, that statement is blasphemous. Because it would be more honest if they unfold a banner saying, the vaccine will not save your soul. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can. I mean, that would be mm. an honest banner and something you'd expect from a church. Mm. But why are they broadcasting an anti-Jesus message and a pro-WHO message? But imagine if churches worldwide showed as much dedication to the fulfillment of the great commission of our Lord Jesus Christ as they do to promoting the mask, sanitize, social distance, temperature take, salvation by vaccination message of the WHO. I mean, have you ever seen these congregations as vigilant in challenging visitors as the relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ as are in parroting the propaganda of the COVID cult? Imagine if as people came through the door, at the door, someone standing there, where do you stand with the Lord? Are you right with God? Have you given to life to the Lord? Are you born again? I mean, imagine if, if they were as insistent on that as they are on take your temperature, fill in details here, uh, wear your mask, uh, pull it up over your nose, and uh, socially distance. I mean, honestly, uh, mm. and even you're not allowed to come to church. We already have our 50. I mean, literally. Mm. My daughter and friend she brought to church was turned away because they had their limit according to, I mean, honestly, that's a good time not to be good at maths because why would you want people not to come to your church? It's just, what's the point of the church? Imagine if the church has put as much emphasis on sanctifying your heart as sanitizing your hands. Well, that should be interesting. Uh, imagine if they emphasize the importance of separating from the world instead of being conformed to the world as they do in social distancing. How about some spiritual distancing from polluting influence of the world? That would be nice. Like, you know, Get rid of your TV set would be a lot more constructive than telling you to socially distance from somebody you probably live with. I mean, your own family members are meant to socially distance. I've been walking down the street with my grandson, my shoulders, and people screaming about the need to social distance. We live in the same home. This is bizarre. Imagine if they urged every member and every adherent to the congregation to test themselves in the light of the word of God and evaluate their spiritual temperature. I mean, what's your spiritual temperature like? You know, is it like lukewarm, mm-hmm. cold? <laughs> as often as I diligently record 36.1. I mean, the amount of times I've had somebody look at me and say, as though they're saying something profound, 36.1. Like, oh, wow. Um, ad nauseum, on these wasted reams of paper, which no one's ever going to read, honestly, can't we save some forest by just stopping the stupid, mindless recording of temperatures? Okay, it's 36 point something like, so what? Does it really matter? Who cares? Mm. And imagine if they spent as much time proclaiming the gospel message as they do proclaiming the COVID message. I mean, if churches in the last 22 months had put as much energy into the gospel 
mm-hmm. as they put into the COVID protocol. Can you imagine how much work for the kingdom could have been achieved? Mm. Imagine if they promoted faith mm. as vigorously as they've been promoting fear of this virus. Imagine if they actually lived by the scripture, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That is a wonderful way to think through this and surely so convicting. Um, and also it brings it brings the light on the importance of eternity. What do we think about eternity? And um, realizing that where we live now that has eternal impact, how can we bring that over into um, sharing about breaking the sixth commandment, into sharing about people um, allowing abortions, mm-hmm. how can we take a stand rather spending time than spending time on getting wrapped up in this? What can we rather do? Yes, I'm, I think you need to recognize that just about everything in the world is a distraction. Mm-hmm. The world is trying to distract us from what really matters. Mm-hmm. In the light of eternity, in the light of God, in the light of the day of judgment, in the light of the fact that you only have one life and will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Mm. then most of these things that are around us all the time, screaming for our attention from the world's media and from the governments and so on, becomes virtually insignificant mm. in comparison. And so, you know, again, as we start off with what's the leading cause of death in the world today? Well, if you believe the basic narrative, you'd say, well, it's got to be COVID. But no, um, in fact, mm. crime and cancer and alcoholism and smoking and malaria and a whole lot of other things are far more dangerous. And it's time for us to just remind people the biggest take of life is abortion. And if you don't have the right to life of preborn babies, if you don't respect the right to life of the most innocent and helpless of all, then of what worth is all your rights? Mm. And we're living in a society where basically the society is committing suicide. When in some cases, in some countries, they're killing more babies than are being born. And for example, amongst the black people in America, more babies are killed than are born. And in Israel, more Jewish babies are killed by abortion than actually born in the state of Israel and so on. So there's some places where abortion has now eclipsed birth. It's more than 50%, which is absolute. I mean, that's suicide. Mm. In fact, if you take Europe statistics, they say that the average European woman is having 1.1 children. Now, if you don't have 2.2, then you're not, you're not even replacing yourself, uh, barely. And so anything less than that is, is demographic suicide. And no society can survive if they are going to have more people dying than being born. And mm-hmm. this, this is where Europe is going right now, where the population is increasingly aged and there's less and less children. There's some areas where they don't even want children in the whole area. Some suburbs are no children allowed. And I mean, can you imagine? Mm-hmm. We've even come across that in, in America. There's whole suburbs where no children allowed and it's, it, you know, retirement village or this and that, and they only want adults without children because... Uh, and there are places where there are also no pets allowed. I mean, how sick is that, that you've got societies that are so selfish that I don't want to hear anything barking, I don't want a cat that can come into my garden, I don't want a child who can disturb my sleep, I don't want to hear anything that's going to... And how do you think societies live? You know, what do you think you were doing... Um, in the first few years of your life. So the the selfishness of so much, but what this is doing is it's serving the agenda of the globalists who want much less population. They don't need that many people anymore. They've got artificial intelligence. They don't need all the peasants uh, working in the factories anymore. Uh, So they are able to replace many people and now you've got a whole lot of surplus eaters who just need to be 
um, genocide had gotten rid of one way or the other. And so sterilization, abortion, all this fits the agenda of those who, those who hate God, love mm-hmm. death. Yeah, and that is taking away from the sanctity of life, the precious life that God forms. Um, Psalm 139 spoke, speak about that. Every life is being knitted together in the mother's womb. And um, as Christians, we are called to really share that out. Do you think for us there is hope? Can we bring a change? Has there been places where Christians has, have been able to bring a change in this world that is so much against us? Yes, Definitely, without a doubt. And I can think of a whole range of examples. When we began our mission, Frontline Fellowship, back, in fact, this this April, we'll celebrate 40 years of cross-border missions. When we started in 1982, cross-border into Mozambique, Mozambique was the least evangelized country in the Southern Hemisphere. Mozambique was nobody under 18 allowed in church. No missionaries allowed in the whole country. No baptism of anyone under 18. There wasn't one Bible for a thousand people in Mozambique, all according to Operation World um, back in 1981. And when we crossed the border into Mozambique in 1982, less than 4% of people of Mozambique would have called themselves Protestants or Evangelicals at all. Less than 4%. Well, today it's more like 34% of Mozambique would call themselves Bible-believing Christians, born-again, evangelical charismatic Pentecostal independence. And so we've seen Mozambique go from a closed communist country to a country that's open for the gospel, open for missions, where you've got 34% of the population at least claim to be Christians and where it's no longer illegal to have Bibles and Bibles can be openly sold and distributed and cross borders. And well, you know, you've just come back from Mozambique ministering mm-hmm. there. There's vastly more freedom uh, for the gospel in Mozambique than we could have even imagined 40 years ago. Same in Angola, which was about as close as you could have. Uh, when I started our work in Sudan back in 1995, uh, Sudan was heavily persecuted, uh, terrible persecution. And uh, church has been bombed. We got bombed there and uh, strafed and attacked and artillery barrages and rocket fire and uh, in church services. But today, South Sudan is a free and independent country. Even the Nuba Mountains has peace and freedom, however tentative at this moment, and hospital developing. We've even got mission team up there right now. And so praise God for developments like that. When I started this work, going into Eastern Europe in the 1980s was difficult, dangerous, complicated. Iron Curtain was up. The Berlin Wall was up. The Eastern Europe was captive nations. Russia was heavily communist. And churches were heavily persecuted. And to smuggle Bibles was actually very dangerous and difficult. Mm. Today, Eastern Europe's wide open for the gospel. In fact, as Patrick Johnson of Operation World said in our boardroom at this very mission house a while ago to me, he said, Peter, where do you think the most Christians are in Europe? Which country in Europe has the largest number of Bible-believing born-again Christians? I hesitate for a moment. He said, Russia. Number two, Ukraine. Number three, Romania. Now, those are three countries that used to be behind the Iron Curtain. Mm -hmm. They all were communist countries, but they survived decades of communist persecution, decades of atheist indoctrination, and they came out more strongly Christian than ever before. Russia, once the most atheist country in the world, you would have thought, 82% of the population claimed to be Orthodox church members baptized in fellowship with their churches, and that's not counting the millions of evangelicals and others in the country. And they are building churches by the thousands across Russia. It's it's an extraordinary development there. Uh, whereas back in 1941, there were not 200 churches in the whole of the Soviet Union. Today, there are over 30,000 Orthodox churches alone and thousands of other churches in Russia. So uh, these are victories that mm-hmm. we've seen. Poland, abortion was legal back in 1990. 
But when Solidarity kicked out the communists, they brought in laws banning abortion. And similarly, Zambia, when I was locked up there in 1987, Zambia was under Kenneth Kunda, dictator, uh, dictator for life, UNIP, the only party, one-party <laughs> dictatorship, and abortion was legal. But the well, some of our friends from the same cell that I was locked up in, in Lusaka Central Prison became the next government of Zambia. Mm-hmm. And Frederick Chaluba declared Zambia to be a Christian country, dedicated the country to being a Christian country, repented publicly, national repentance for the sins of corruption and witchcraft and communism, and pledged the country to become a Christian country, banned abortion. And so we have seen so many changes. And, and when people say, oh, well, you know, nothing can change and everything's going to get worse and worse, not in our missions experience. Some of the worst mission fields when we began are today some of the most open and free countries with some of the best church growth today. So there's no reason, no excuse for anyone to say there's no hope. No. How can you say there's no hope? We believe in Almighty God. Yes. We believe in his power of answers to our prayers. We believe in the power of the word of God. How can any Christian who believes in the power of the word of God, the power of prayer and the power of God say there's no hope in the future? Yeah, and praise God for where he has used the work of Christians. Um, going out, even now, as you said, into Mozambique, it was wonderful to see how many believers, Bible-believing churches there are. Um, in dark places, spiritually dark places, there's vibrant Christians. So it is true, there is hope. We have hope, eternal hope. And that should drive us to action. What are some steps that we can take to put into action what we believe to stand up against murder? Well, we need to be informed. We need to be interceding. We need to be involved. Now, information is key, and one should contact Christian Action. Info at christianaction.org.za is the email. The website's www.christianaction.org.za. And on the christianaction.org.za website, you will see articles, information, videos such as March for Life, Stand for Life, other great pro-life videos. And you should get informed on when life begins, what the Bible teaches. We've got for Sancti Life Sunday, the last Sunday of January, should be Sancti Life Sunday when we preach on what the Bible teaches on when life begins and what our responsibility is to our pre-born neighbors and our vulnerable neighbors and our neighbors who are going through crisis pregnancy centers and what we can do to reach out in love and practical help and what our congregations could do, what our families could do. I mean, some churches are called to pro-life ministries, as some to sidewalk counseling, some families have been called to fostering, even adopting uh, children. And there's some magnificent ministries one can be involved in. And if all of us can do something and uh, we can all pray, we can all witness. And some of us may be called to special, even more committed work. And we have people connected in our fellowship who've been called to sidewalk counsel outside abortion clinics until we saw Mary Stopes closed down in Cape Town, which was a very mm. encouraging thing. And and counsel some people at the steps of Mary Stopes who are going into abort their babies who chose not to and whose child has been born, some of them named after the very sidewalk counselor uh, who talked them out of that Wow. decision which could have ruined their life and they would never have uh, lived uh, it down and ever forgotten it. So uh, we can make a difference. Uh, all of us can do something. And uh, of course, at the very least, we should use our social media platforms to speak out for the right to life uh, on occasions such as this and join a March for Life such as in Cape Town. We are going to have one coming up on the 1st of February. This 1st of February is the 25th anniversary of the legalization of abortion in South Africa. Tragically, Sadly, uh, Nelson Mandela, as president of South Africa, on the 1st of February 1997, legalized abortion in South Africa. And in the last 25 years, 
quarter of a century, two million South African babies have been killed by abortion. Two million, officially, legally, and most with taxpayers' money. And the least we can do is go to the gates of the city and dissociate with it and say, this was not done with our approval. We do not agree with it. And we silence is perceived as consent. So we think at the very least, once a year on the anniversary of legalization abortion, we should stand there mm -hmm. at Parliament and say, you don't have our support in this. This is wrong. And the day will come when this will be illegal and those who legalized it and allowed it will be disgraced. And the day will come when we will look at this Abortion, like we look at slavery and the holocausts like in Rwanda uh, today and with revulsion, mm -hmm. and anyone who was a coward at this time will be disgraced. Mm -hmm. uh, so the least we can do is make a stand. So I think Sanctity Life Sunday on the 30th of January, March for Life, 1st of February, these are some practical things we can do. There's also first Sunday in October, there's International Life Change Sundays, which is a good international event. We have Human Rights Day coming up on 25th of March, which is another good time to remind them. By the way, you remember the right to life of pre-born babies? Um, mm -hmm. I mean, that's the most basic human right of all. We can do letters to the editor of our community papers. We can do on social media, our different platforms that we've got. We can share this podcast uh, with others. So there's many things we can do to speak up. And there's also some great books and great films like Unplanned. Abby Johnson tells me how she's converted from being a planned parented abortion provider to being a pro-life activist. Gosnell, which is a dramatic film on the true story of America's worst serial killer who turned out to be a late-term abortionist. And and that's absolutely horrific story. Um, but well presented. It's not something that you uh, can't watch and show. Um, and uh, I think that Gosnell is another good way of exposing. So there are films, there are documentaries, there are uh, pro-life materials, whether you're getting the precious feet lapel pins to be a conversation starter, pro-life bumper sticker for your car, we can all do something. Mm. Yeah, and as you say, there's many things we can do. So as people are often afraid of the response, and that I think many people are afraid to speak up for the truth just because they are not sure how people will react, would you be willing to share some of the experiences you've had, some of the arguments you've had, and just to share... Um, there are ways to bring over the truth in a loving, compassionate, but truthful, factual way. Yes. So, uh, for example, back on Human Rights Day, um, we had a Africa Christian Action pro-life protest uh, in Pinelands in a suburb in Cape Town where we knew there was a doctor doing abortions. And so uh, we produced a leaflet, you can stop abortions in Pinelands uh, leaflets, and we'd been just doing a traffic lights. And at some point, I decided to go outside the person's home, and we were standing there <laughs> up pulls this doctor in her Volvo and she demands, what are you doing outside my home? Are you the people who've been distributing these leaflets? And she waved one of the, you can stop abortions and pilots leaflets. <laughs> Imagine the shock when she gets handed that at the traffic light. Uh, well, I want you to stop. You're embarrassing me in my neighborhood. I don't want my neighbors to know what I do. So I said, if what you're doing is right, why would you be embarrassed about your neighbors knowing your occupation? And she said, because it's controversial. Not everyone approves abortion. You're embarrassing me. I said, you are killing babies. Mm. She says, well, no, I don't kill babies. The mothers do. Well, I said, the mothers may pay you to kill their babies, but you're the one who's actually doing the procedure. She says, but it's their choice. They sign the life of their baby away. I'm just providing a service. So I said, 
So you're like a hitman who takes money to kill people. And she actually smiled at this and said, you could describe me like that. I'm providing a service, but it's a mother's choice. I said, you're concerned about what your neighbors are thinking today, but you should be more concerned about what Almighty God will say to you on the Day of Judgment. You do believe in God, don't you? At this, she suddenly got somber and she looked down. She said, yes, I believe in God. And then she said, but I'm not a Christian. I said, well, you have an appointment. It's appointed unto man once to die and after that to face judgment. One day you'll have to stand before Almighty God and give an account of everything you have done. She says, maybe, but you're speaking to the wrong person. You need to be involved in sex education in schools. Uh, you will not believe how many 12-year-olds I've had to do abortions for. You won't believe how many young girls come to me in need. This is a dirty job, but somebody has to do it. There's a tremendous demand for what I'm doing and very few are willing to do it. I said, well, of course, we do go to schools and we do support groups like True Love's Way who are heavily involved in vigorous sex education in schools. And yes, we believe education is our highest priority. And I've worked with the fire brigade and I've also been in the army. And there are some dirty jobs that have to be done. But firemen and soldiers can say that they're saving lives. But as an abortionist, you can't say you're saving lives. You're not saving lives, you're ending lives. In fact, it's a fact that remains life begins at conception. Abortion is murder. She said, that's your opinion. I said, well, no, that's actually scientific fact. Surely you as a doctor know life begins at conception. She said, well, that's not the point. I said, well, yes, that's exactly the point. Make no mistake, the day will come when generations will look back at abortion in our town the same way they're looking back at the Rwandan Holocaust and slavery today. Well, maybe, but... We won't be around and so it won't matter to us. And I said, how can you say that? Don't you believe in the immortality of the soul? It'll most certainly matter to you in eternity. There's a God in heaven. There's a day of judgment. And heaven and hell are very real. And it'll most certainly affect you after you've died and throughout all of eternity. But uh, I mean, that's just one conversation it had. But it's remarkable that this abortionist spoke so freely about the mother mm. and the baby and uh, she wasn't trying to dehumanize. They so often speak about the patient, the product of conception, the fetus, the TOP, the termination of pregnancy. But this abortionist had no problem consistently referring to the mother who signs away the baby's life and the baby. So extraordinary. Her justification was it's legal and I'm just doing what parents are asking me and paying me to do. Mm. So she recognized the facts. She even had some conviction, but she did not realize that she is going to stand guilty before God. It doesn't seem like that sunk in. And I think that's something that we need to pray for. And as we go and have Sanctity Life Sunday and March for Life, we pray for that. We reach out and, yeah, we really just pray that God will use that to bring people to conviction. And even for our country, um, that is a longing that we have that mm. our government will realize what they are doing is wrong. And as you have said, we have an almighty God, an eternal God that is on our side. So we can go and we can be involved, we can be God's hands and feet. What are some um, final resources that people can go to? There are some tremendous resources. We've got a lot of excellent videos and books that we highly recommend. So I would uh, certainly say if you haven't seen Gosnell and Unplanned, uh, get the films, uh, show them. You can get hold of these from Christian Liberty Books. Christian Liberty Books, info at christianlibertybooks.co. .za or visit www.christianlibertybooks.co.za. You'll get some great resources, pro-life resources. Uh, that includes videos, books, um, pro-life precious feet, uh, through to the bumper stickers and a whole lot of other things. You can get hold of the starters packs, the 
Christian Action Starter Pact on how you can start a prayer and action group in your area. Uh, you can get the book Make a Difference, a Christian Action Handbook for Southern Africa. We've got a lot of good pro-life tracks that have been designed. It's my body. Uh, I can do what I choose with it. And Life Begins at Conception, The Miracle of Life, and Abortion of Facts, and a whole lot of things like that. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, or, or 10 uh, pro-life answers to pro-choice questions. So we've got these in English, Afrikaans, Kosa, Zulu, and uh, we can put you in touch with other language groups too if, if you need to be put in touch. And so don't uh, hesitate to contact, get the resources, get involved. If you are far from where we are, contact us and we'll put you in touch with pro-lifers in your area. But mm. look around, you'll see there are pro-lifers probably in the area. And if not, we can send you a starter pack on how you could start one. Yeah. yeah, and that's wonderful that we have the school to take action and the ability to do it. And while we have the short time to do it, we should do that. I would like to close just with the verse um, from Psalm 139, speaking about how God made us. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And all our souls know that, that God has made us. And so I would call and encourage everyone to take action um, and to pray as well that God will show you how you can be used to bring people under, under conviction because really this is an issue globally all throughout the world and we are called to be obedient to God, to be the hands and feet of Christ. So good night and may God bless you as you seek to love and trust and obey him.